Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Episode 30, The Lindor Bet, recorded on May 5th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'm better tonight than I was uh, before the Detroit series. It's been a, a lot of swings for the Indians lately, but right now we're, we're, on, a, we're on a bump, we're on a high tide, so uh, tonight I'm in a good mood. I just hope they don't follow the same pattern and sweep Detroit and then look terrible for two series and then sweep Detroit again. I mean, I like the sweep Detroit part, but I don't want... The other two parts that come after it. We run out of games against Detroit at some point. So it's <laughs> really satisfying. But at some point, they got to start beating someone else more, too. Yeah, I would hope. And hopefully it's teams like the Twins and the Phillies that they're going to end up beating. Yes. Well, hopefully it seems like the Royals this weekend and they can keep this winning streak going. Uh, yeah. they, could be, they could be in second place by, uh, by the end of tomorrow, I think, if they beat the Royals tomorrow night. Wow, I actually did not know that. Yeah, after the Phillies, because uh, I mean they got swept by the Phillies and swept the Tigers, so they're right where they were a couple weeks ago. So yeah, we have. Uh, I think we got a lot of good stuff today. We have. We're going to talk about the games uh, over the last week. The whole, like we just said, the big swing between deep depression and then really high happiness. Then we're going to talk about Brantley suddenly getting on track and Chisinau not quite doing the same thing. The third base situation and Santana leading off, and then. Uh, all-star voting, which is ridiculous that we have to vote this early, but it's there, so we might as well vote for Francisco Lindor. And then we're going to preview the Royals with our special guest from uh, Royals Review, managing editor Max Riper. It's going to be a good show. Uh, let's just jump right into the recaps. Uh, just going back, uh, the last two series, of course, swept by the Phillies, swept the Tigers. Uh, Indians overall, they did come out on top scoring-wise, 23 runs to 18 allowed. Lindor was pretty great through, I would say, pretty much every game, even the bad ones. Uh, did you have any specific takeaways from the last week? Well, you may remember that a week ago when we spoke, we talked about the uh, the emotional impact of various types of losses. And I was saying that for me, while I understand the one-run loss uh, you know, means the team was close, and that's encouraging, for me, the one-run one losses uh, are the ones that take their toll on me. And then the Indians promptly went and lost three one-run games in a row to the Phillies. Uh, They lost a total of five one-run games last week. I don't have the research skills to figure it out, uh, but I suspect you could count on your fingers the number of times in Major League history a team has lost by one run five times in a week. Um, So I was at a low point in the young season after Sunday's game, uh, fed up with getting swept by what I felt like should be a uh, an inferior team and losing three close games. Um, so my takeaway with that was the Indians need to find a way to score two more runs a game. Um, and, but then the Detroit series again, they've now 
beaten the Tigers six straight games this season. Uh, and a lot of things look really, really good. You mentioned how good Lindor's looked. Uh, my beloved Carlos Santana has been hitting the ball really, really well. Um, and has been drawing walks again. That was something we talked about, uh, I think, two weeks ago, that his walk rate was down. And they said, hey, if we talk in two weeks and Santana's walk rate is still this low, then maybe I'll be worried. But sure enough, it's right back up pretty close to his career level. Um, this week's been really, really encouraging. And even the three losses, uh, not encouraging, but the division right now is shaping up to continue to be close like we expected. So I feel like... At some point, they've got to be able to beat the bad teams, and so far they haven't done that, but there's a lot of season left. Yeah, and like you said, uh, losing close games isn't fun, but I mean, just think about how great it would be right now if they managed to win, because they're all 1-1 losses, so one thing goes the opposite direction. They were really close to winning six in a row, well, seven if you include the Twins, but just kind of the way it falls, I guess. And I guess the Phillies have started to tail off. Well, and like looking back... Going backwards from here through their last losses, you've got uh, three losses to the Phillies, all by one run. Uh, Then two losses to the Twins, both by one run. Um, Then you've got two losses to the Mariners, one of them by one run. Uh, May, or I'm sorry, April 17th is the last time the Indians lost by more than three runs. Uh, And that three-run loss was in extra innings. So in some ways, that was even a closer game in terms of at the end of nine innings. So the last time at the end of nine innings, the Indians had a result worse than being back by a run, April 17th, which is almost three weeks ago. So you look at it that way. They've been playing pretty good baseball for a while now. But it's frustrating that playing pretty good baseball has still allowed them to lose seven games during that stretch. I think compared to like last year, which we did last week, or last podcast again we compared it but last month or last uh season it was just kind of crushing defeats all april but this year it seems more frustrating but overall the team's better not even just not when they're sweeping just in general i think and my biggest thing was both of Corey kluber starts well i guess did he start against philly i don't think he did well his last couple starts have both been very good yeah and he started against detroit and the one especially because early on he wasn't finding the strikes all at all i think it was in the second inning he walked a couple, he allowed a couple hits, and then he just turned it on and he wound up pitching a complete game shutout, which was only the second of his career, which I did not know. I thought he had way more than that. But all told, he just allowed, I think it was like two walks, struck out seven. Um, that just shows just how good Corey Kluber is. He can be completely off for an entire inning and then just be lights out for the next eight. Yeah, and his, I mean, his last three games, uh, he's thrown 24 innings, so that's not very difficult math. He's averaged eight innings a start. And he's given up only three earned runs in that. So uh, he's basically giving up one run a start and going eight innings. So that's pretty fantastic. He's only walked two guys in those three starts. Um, I wasn't concerned early in the year, but he had, you know, I think his first start, he maybe gave up four runs. And then he had a tough game against the Mets where uh, Raji Davis lost a couple balls in the flies in the, in the sun. Uh, but Kluber was charged with all the runs. And so some Indians fans were freaked out. I hope the last couple of weeks have put them at ease. Uh, Kluber looks, I mean, this is the best stretch, uh, you know, one of the best stretches he's ever had these last few starts. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody still being a little freaked out over him, <laughs> even if you were for some reason in the first couple of weeks. So anything else stick out other than besides Lindor just being amazing, <laughs> which he has been all season so far? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really exciting to watch him. Um, I already mentioned Santana. Um, otherwise, no. I mean, Naquin's continued, I think, to hit better than most people thought. And I know his batting average on balls in play is, is unsustainably high. Um, but I've been pleasantly surprised by his offense. Um, some of the other guys who were 
cool at the beginning of the season and then heated up, uh, have cooled back off. Um, but those are guys like Marlon Bird, Juan Uribe, um, who I'm not looking to to be, you know, driving the offense this season. So I'm not concerned by them falling off. So, I mean, I think most things are encouraging right now. Um, so our first topic of the week, when we first talked about this, I think it was right after the Philly sweep. And the idea was going to be that Brantley and Chisholm Hall are both back from injuries and neither of them looked good. Now that we've had the Detroit series, Brantley went six for 12, including tonight where he was four for five with that big double. So it's been a little bit different for Brantley. He all of a sudden came alive. It looks like he's better, but Chisholm Hall is still not very good. Uh, six for 28 since coming back, no walks, six strikeouts. Uh, what are your thoughts on them, especially Brantley with this last series against Detroit? Um, you know, I mean, Brantley, like we said last week, you know, his numbers didn't look great. And I mean, even this morning, his numbers didn't look great. And then he had such a big game this evening. Um, but neither of us were worried about him. And understandably, I think, you know, he's getting sort of back up to full speed. And I'm confident we'll see him doing well going forward. Uh, and you're right that Chisholm's numbers don't look great. Um, he's also just not playing a huge amount. Uh, in the last week leading up to tonight, he's actually batting 400. Uh, and obviously that's a tiny sample size, but he was four for 10 um, and he had a double in there. So, you know, again, it's a microscopic sample, but I think mostly he, he struggled so much early on that he's not getting, uh, you know, kind of full playing time yet. Uh, so I think for better or for worse, we need to wait, you know, another week or two before we have a real sense um, of how Lonnie's doing. I think the good thing for both of them is that it doesn't look like it's any kind of lingering effect from the injury. I think Brantley's just gotten his timing back better and quicker than Chisholm Hall did. Although the scary thing for everybody else is that apparently before the game, Brantley was saying he still hasn't quite caught up to the fastball. So this four for five day was Brantley still not being back all the way. So hopefully he'll be even better somehow. Yeah. And Chisholm Hall had two more hits tonight, too. So, I mean, you, you, you add that in. Uh, I mean, he might be doing pretty well now, too. Uh, you know, and I think we'll start to see him in the lineup, you know, more than I think he only started. This was his third start in the last week. The other thing thing I know we're, we're we can talk about the catching situation a little more later or we can just talk about it now. Uh, Roberto Perez is having surgery tomorrow morning on his hand that he broke last weekend. Um, still no timetable on how long he's going to be out, but I would guess once the operation is out of the way, they'll have a sense of that. Uh, yesterday, the Indians signed for two-time former Indian, uh, Chris Jimenez, to be the backup catcher. And he jumped into the lineup tonight and promptly hit a home run. So right now, the catching, the backup situation uh, looks pretty good. Jan Gomes, though, on the other hand, uh, was down. I wrote about him being down. He shoved it in my face by playing well, uh, but now he hasn't looked great again, uh, you know, for the last few games. And he was out of the lineup tonight. So the catching situation, I think, is a little shaky offensively. I mean, Gomes is still a great defensively. Um, I'm just not sure we're going to see him hit the way he did in 2014 again. Yeah, and at this point this season, altogether, Gomes has two walks to 20 strikeouts, if that tells you anything. And I think yeah. we said before that... All we have to have is Brantley and Chisholm Hall get on track with Kipnis, Santana, sometimes Napoli, and also Lindor being themselves. And then that's a pretty good lineup, even if Jan Gomes is either out or not good, and then Marlon Bird is inconsistent. Just one through six or seven, that's a pretty great lineup if everybody's hitting. Yeah, and like you said, Gomes and you know Lindor are probably the two players in the lineup who, even if they're not hitting much, 
are still completely worth having in the lineup just because of their defense uh, and, you know, at the two sort of premium positions. Uh, Lindor right now is also hitting the snot out of the ball, and hopefully Jan gets back to that. Um, but like I said, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath for 2014 Jan offense to come back. And part of that um, lineup that's going to be, we're going to have to a third baseman, somebody in there. <laughs> 12 times this season, it's been Jose Ramirez. He's been a little bit above average hitting. And then there's Juan Uribe. He's had the most starts, obviously, at 18. He's been a little bit below average. His BAPIP's really low, uh, 238. And then also, I wrote earlier that I don't think we're going to see him called up anytime soon, but there's also Giovanni Urshela hitting really well in the minors. He has four straight Maldives games, but also no walks in a long time. So I don't know how sustainable that is. So maybe we can just focus here on Jose Ramirez and Juan Uribe at the third base position. I know a lot of people, including myself, want to see Jose Ramirez just get playtime anywhere, which he has a mix of, I think I've seen him in the outfield in a couple times in third base. I don't think he's played second yet because I think Kipnis has been there every game, but he's been a little bit of everywhere. So what have you, uh, what are your thoughts on Ramirez so far and the third base situation? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly an area of concern just because Juan Uribe, other than kind of a good five-game stretch a couple weeks ago, uh, hasn't looked great. Uh, or, or hasn't looked even decent, really, offensively. Um, and, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think Ramirez has started as many games as Uribe at third base in the last couple of weeks, um, and he's hit better, uh, and I think, you know, his, his defense is better, too. So I think if Ramirez keeps playing well, he'll continue to get, you know, a pretty good amount of playing time at third base unless Uribe's offense really gets going. And I feel like, you know, they brought Uribe in, the job was his, but the Indians really just need someone to play well there. And I don't think Jose Ramirez is a long-term solution at third base. Um, But, you know, if he can keep doing what he's doing, he can certainly be a good 2016 solution. Uh, And, you know, Uribe is old enough that, well, I think he'll do better than he's done so far. We shouldn't be surprised if he's just kind of into a fairly steep stretch of his career decline. Uh, so hopefully Ramirez keeps playing well, and I think we know with Brantley back now, we won't see Ramirez in the outfield as much. Um, but I think he's going to get regular playing time at third base if he keeps going. So then uh, the big experiment that's been going on lately has been your favorite, one of my favorites, Carlos Santana. Uh, on the season altogether, he's been great. Like you said, his walk rate is up to 14.3, which I'm pretty sure is higher than some seasons in his career. And he's only struck out in 12% of his at-bats. Uh, he wasn't lead off today, but he was still really good. Do you think, I already know the answer to this, but so I guess I'll rephrase it. Why do you think Santana should keep being the leadoff hitter? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's done really well there. And I, 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 I'm happy to see that he did well getting moved down in the lineup today. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the team has done well with him in the leadoff spot. And well, I don't think that's because he was in the leadoff spot, Um you know, he's been getting on base at a really high clip. His on-base percentage for the season right now is is almost identical to it, you know what it's been the last couple of years. Um, his batting average is actually a little higher than it's been. Um, and right now his power numbers uh, are what I've been happiest with because his, his power is up. Uh, I think his slugging percentage right now is, you know, I think better than his career high. And again, you know, we're only about 100 plate appearances in. But he's playing really good ball at the plate, and I think if if he's feeling good in the leadoff role and the and the team is scoring a lot of runs with him up there, it's just one of those no reason to mess with what's working. Yeah, and then you say that, and then today for no reason, it's another. Yeah. It's not like it was a left hander; it's another right hander. And for some reason, Raja Davis was leading off. I said before the game that no matter how you want to think about it, if you like uh, 
real statistical analysis with a lot of uh, context, you know Carlos Santana is the right leadoff choice. And if you like recent trends, just look at the last two weeks. He's been great, but who knows why? (laughs) But he wasn't leading off. I get Davis playing just as like a, you know, he's sort of a platoon guy, but you want to, you know, keep him in the lineup semi-regularly. And then I think it's interesting. It just feels like Francona is like, oh, well, when Davis is in the lineup, he's the leadoff guy. And so it's funny that all of his reasoning for putting Santana, you know, he had the line about like, you know, what matters is on base percentage. And you can look at some of the guys who hit leadoff for him in Boston and, and see that he really believes that. Um so it's sort of funny that he just kind of today tossed it out the window because Raji Davis is the fast outfielder and that's who bats lead off. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this right after the game, so we haven't heard yet, but I would love to hear just what his thought process was for that. I think, like you said, it's just if Davis is in there, he's my leadoff hitter, which is kind of disappointing, but not the end of the world, I guess. I've never won who really, I mean, I like a good roster construct or lineup construction, but I'm never too picky about it. I don't think it makes that big of a difference over the course or over the course of a season maybe but game to game just do what they feel comfortable with i don't think it makes a big difference in terms of like when you just look at numbers and you know players or cogs and stuff like that i think where it can make a difference is like that players are people thing that i I do think most people like having kind of a set role uh, and like knowing what's expected of them and that sort of thing. So I, I do think just in terms of players' personalities and stuff like that, I think putting guys in the position or the spot in the batting order that they're happy in as much as you can do that, you know, not obviously putting your worst hitter batting leadoff because he's a nice guy and you want to make him happy, but you know what I mean. I Within kind of the confines of how good your players are, um, and, and that's the reason why I feel like, especially leadoff and cleanup, which are kind of, you know, the, the marquee, those are the batting order positions that like kids know what they mean. So those are the big ones. And I feel like if a player enjoys that and is successful in that role, um, well, like mathematically, I don't think, you know, batting order matters all that much. I, I think in the kind of the human element of it. It is worth, like when, and what I said, you know, there's no reason to mess with what works. If, if Santana likes that and the rest of the team is going well behind him there, um, I wouldn't fuss with it. Yeah, it's been years since I read the book, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but having the perfect roster, if you had it every single game of a season, it makes such a minor difference. It's either just a couple runs or a couple wins, I don't remember, but either way. Like you said, it's just go, if they feel comfortable doing it, let them do it. But I would think it's uh, interesting if, Let's just say hypothetically, Davis and Santana both like leading off. I wonder why Francona would go with Davis over Santana on the comfort element. Because I would want Santana to be more comfortable than Davis. I would just put him at the bottom anyway. Right. Because I think if yeah, Santana no. is better and happy, he's going to be a better hitter than Rajai Davis pretty much any day. Yeah. No, I agree. And again, if, if Santana's leading off again, you know, tomorrow, then... You know, I don't really care. And I sort of expect that he will be. It would be really odd if Francona just was like, oh, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. Like, that would be baffling, and he'd have to have a, a really good explanation for it. But I don't think that's what it's going to be. And it's still kind of odd that even for one game, just to randomly go against it, you know, to change it when it's not against the lefty. Um, but I, I don't think there's any reason to lose sleep over it for one game. Yeah, it's not infuriating. It's just a little odd. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so we already talked about Gomes not doing well, so I don't think we need to go back over that again, unless you had anything else. No, I don't. Um, 
you know, again, I, I think uh, if we if we ex- if we look at him as a really good defensive player who's not a great hitter, um, I mean, that's still a really solid catcher. And then if his bat does come back, you know, it's sort of like gravy. Um, so I'm trying to sort of view Gomes through that lens. I mean, his defense is really good. I think his, his pitch calling is, you know, rapport with the rotation and that kind of stuff. I really like having him on the field. So I wish he was hitting better. Um, but I'm not going to beat him up about it because I think he can still be, you know, a really in, in, important part of the team without a great bat. And I would like to point out, until we know how long Roberto Perez is out, I'll still hang on to my out-on-a-limb bet that maybe, just maybe when he comes back, Gomes is on some huge downturn and they just say, okay, Roberto Perez, you're the starter. Make Matt look like a genius and have more plate appearances. After I think my chance is getting smaller by the day, but I'm not ready to abandon that. I think we have to look at the very real possibility that Chris Jimenez is <laughs> the new starting catcher and... We've got a Wally Pip situation, and he's just going to run with the job like Lou Gehrig. <laughs> but, I mean, he came into the season with Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez and end up with Chris Jimenez. Smashing <laughs> home runs. Right. He did he nice 33% home run rate. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> That'll hold up for a season, I'm sure. Did you see, this is way off topic now, but Napoli's going to be on pace to hit 30 home runs, apparently. I didn't look into it more, but I saw the Indians mention that. So we might have finally our first 30 dingers, and we can get rid of that joke. Or keep it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think his home run tonight was number five. So he's a sixth of the way there. uh, And 162 divided by six is 27. So having five home runs through 27. So he'll be on pace for 30 home runs, even if he doesn't hit one for a few games now. He's got a little buffer for a while. And let's be honest. The one tonight should have counted for two. He killed that (laughs) thing. That was such a nice swing to see. Um... So, moving on then, um, for some odd reason, we have to vote for the All-Star Game starting at the end of April, and I think the only lock that the Indians have, although he's not a lock, he should be, is Francisco Lindor. I wrote about this yesterday, day before, something like that, but the only batter even close, the only shortstop even close right now is Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts? How do you pronounce that? I'm sure it's Bogarts. And Carlos Correa, who stole the Rookie of the Year award, isn't even close. I mean, he's close, but he's not quite there. So who do you think, do you think Lindor is going to get the nod for the Indians, or will it be somebody else? Is there anybody else who has a shot? What do you think about the All-Star game after a whole month that we've had to think about it? <laughs> I think uh, if if he keeps playing the way he's playing, Lindor is going to be on the All-Star team. I don't think there's any chance he's going to be voted in the start just because I can't fathom the scenario where any Cleveland Indian is voted to start right now. I think Lindor could be voted to start eventually. Um, but if you play in a team with as few, fa- relative to other teams, as few fans as the Indians, it's almost impossible to get voted in as the starter until you've kind of made a name for yourself for a while. Um, and Correa winning the Rookie of the Year last year in, in, in Houston having you know a bigger fan base. Uh, Bogart's having a really good season, and Boston obviously having a far, far bigger fan base. I don't think there's there's a zero percent chance of him beating both of those two out. Zero. Zero. There is. <laughs> I, I will. I don't know. I don't know what I will do, but I will do something ridiculous if Lindor gets voted to start the All Star game. <laughs> uh, that yeah. said, I I will be very very surprised if he doesn't make the team 
um, you know, unless he goes into a massive slump or, you know, suffers an injury or something like that. Um, the good thing is there's not a lot of, like, there's not, Derek Jeter's gone. There's no one who's, like, going to get a spot, really, whether they deserve it or not at shortstop. I mean, Troy Tulowitzki would be the closest thing, but he doesn't have the same kind of sort of gravitas, and he hasn't been in Toronto that long, and he's hitting terribly right now. Um, so I, I, I feel like it, Bogarts, Lindor, and Correa are all going to be on the team if they keep doing what they're doing. Um, and I'll be happy with Lindor on the team, whether he's starting or not, because he's so, not good at starting. <laughs> so let's paint a little fantasy land here. Let's say Francisco Lindor keeps doing great and the Indians win, and then he just... I think even now you might be underrating how well-known he is outside of Cleveland. Maybe I'm overrating it. I don't know. But let's say that happens, and then Correa stays about even, and the uh, Astros keep basically tanking. You don't think even then he won't make it over Bogart, Bogarts? I think Lindor is way more known than Bogarts, even though he's on the Red Sox right now. I think he's a little more known, but I don't think he's enough more known that people who don't pay that much attention are just going to vote for him because, like, in the back of their head, they're like, oh, yeah, he's the best shortstop. That's why I think it takes a while because you have to get to the point where the casual fan who isn't really paying that much attention to the numbers just looks at a ballot and goes, oh, yeah, he's the guy. And, and he just hasn't been around long enough to have that kind of impact. And so then people who are paying attention to the numbers, I think there's a totally legitimate case for Bogarts right now. And I guess I maybe shouldn't admit this, but I think I would maybe even put him ahead of Lindor right now. I mean, they're super close. Um, But I feel like there's just way more people who are going to vote for a Red Sox. They're going to vote for an Indian, all else being equal. And I just don't think Lindor has been around long enough to make it that all else isn't equal. And then Correa is the rookie of the year. And I don't think most people are going to care that the Astros are having a poor season. Um, they know who he is because of the Rookie of the Year. Uh, and Houston's in a big city, so I don't know what their attendance is like. It's certainly better than Cleveland's, and they've got more people with the internet in Houston than in Cleveland, uh, what with it being the fourth biggest city in the country. Uh, I, I, I would be stunned if Lindor finished ahead of either one of them in the voting this year. So are you willing to open that up to we'll just let people suggest? I mean, you'll have the last say, of course. You can pick. But you'll they'll pick something yes, embarrassing or weird for you to do. happy to take listener uh, suggestions for what ridiculous thing I have to do uh, if Lindor wins the All-Star voting this year. <laughs> okay. I'll remember that. We'll talk about it next week. It, we'll, um, <laughs> I'll keep them all collected as we go over the week and whatever people say. And you can pick one, and next week we'll reveal it on the show. How about that? So I'm sure you won't end up having to do it because you're probably right, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're going to start looking ahead. We're going to have the Royals coming up here, which uh, defending world champs, but they have struggled quite a bit lately. They have not been a very good team. Uh, bad defense, bad pitching. Normally they over they overshoot the projections, but so far this year that is not happening. Uh, what do you think, just looking ahead real quick to the Royals? Um. They've had enough success the last couple of years, uh, obviously, that I'm still willing to be sort of freaked out by some inexplicable quality they might have. Uh, and frankly, I'm always pessimistic enough to think the Indians might get knocked on their butts by anyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you didn't know the Royals won the World Series last year and you if you somehow understood baseball statistics and knew something about players, but managed to somehow not know who was in the postseason or what happened last year, I don't think you'd look at the Royals roster and think, Oh yeah, this is a really good team. 
Uh, and I know, I mean, that's why the projections don't like them that much, because the projections don't care who won the World Series last year. So while I picked the Royals to win the division, uh, and I would not be at all surprised if they did still win the division, I'm also not surprised that they're, you know, in, I think technically, you know, in, in fourth place or tied for third place right now. Basically, the Indians, Tigers, and Royals are all tied right now. Uh, and that's not surprising either. So I, I think uh, they still feel like the team to beat, even though the White Sox are comfortably in first place. It just hasn't, it's not far enough into the season for who's in first place to really determine who's the team to beat. Um, so it's a home series. I really, 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 really want to see the Indians win uh, at least a couple of these games against the Royals and, uh, you know, move into second place uh, and, and not stumble coming off a big series again, which is what happened last time they had a big series. Absolutely. It'd be pretty great to sweep two division rivals in a row. Maybe not even sweep, just win two over the Royals after sweeping the Tigers. Yeah. So, and again, like they're, they're in a three-way tie right now. Uh, so if they win two of three this weekend, they'll probably be alone in second place. Um, and then they can work on reeling in the White Sox. Yep. So we're going to take a quick break here. Then when we come back, we're going to have Max Reaper, the managing editor of Royals Review. Stay there. And we are back now, and we're joined by Max Reaper, uh, the managing editor of Royals Review. He's here to talk some Royals with us. Max, how are you? I'm doing uh, better. I'd be I'd be a lot better if the Royals are winning more games lately. But uh, I can't complain because, uh, you know, they're the world champs. So. <laughs> yeah, me and Jason were just talking about that. You guys can't complain a whole lot. I mean, you just had a World <laughs> Series, so you could handle a couple slumps. I mean, come on. Yeah, and I just like bringing that up every once in a while. So. <laughs> Forgive <laughs> me. Shove it in wherever you can. Yeah. <laughs> On a podcast Max, at the gas station. Max, how many years How many years do you think you have to wait before you can complain again? Like uh, by next year? Or do you have to wait like three or four? I don't know. We're not We're not really accustomed to winning championships here, so I don't know what the role is. I, I think Bill Simmons had a, like a five-year role, but you know he's from New England, so... Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to wait. You know, we'll maybe, broke, maybe thirty years. I don't know. He broke his own rule almost immediately. By the <laughs> yeah. end of five, he was complaining about the Red Sox. I, yeah. So hopefully, we'll be able, we'll handle a little more gracefully. I hope. <laughs> okay. So uh, we're gonna get right into it here. So every year, as I'm sure you know, writing about and hearing about the Royals, everybody always they're always projected to not be so great. Especially this year, Fangraphs projected them to be 79-83. Baseball perspective was not much better. So what is it about the Royals that just always, they overshoot the projection? Is it dark magic? Is it something else? And <laughs> will they do it again this year? It might be dark magic. Uh, you know, I don't know. They uh, they kind of wear that as a, as a badge of honor at this point. Uh, and they've been asked about it quite a bit. And, of course, they always say it's like grit and heart and, you know, clubhouse chemistry. And they, they fight for each other. And... There might be some of that, uh, and I'd you know I'd rather they get along than they than if they fought with each other all the time. But I think the probably answer is is kind of more in the outstanding things they do. I think when it comes to baseball, if you do anything that that helps win games and you do it in in a dominating fashion, I think you're going to have a pretty good chance of winning. And what the Royals do is, is of course, they have that great defense that um, just kind of laps the field. When it comes to defensive runs saved and, and preventing um, balls and converting balls and outs, uh, basically. So, you know, when you have a great defense like that, I think that helps beat the odds a little bit. Now, I know, you know, Fangraphs and Pakoda project the Royals to be good at defense, but 
I don't think we're at the point now with projections where we know exactly how defense, uh, how how big that is in run prevention. So I know like Pakoda projected the Royals starting pitchers to be bad, which they weren't very good last year, but they projected them to be like historically bad, which they weren't. I mean, they were kind of serviceable, um, you know, and, and, and that's all they really need to be because they're only pitching five, five and a half, you know, averaging five and a half innings per outing. And then they could turn over to that bullpen, which is another aspect of how they're kind of beating the projections uh, because they have this unusually great bullpen. And the Pirates also had a great bullpen last year, and the Pirates also exceeded their their projections by uh, not as much as the Royals did, but but quite a bit as well. So I think um, there's kind of a way in which bullpens are used. And I know the projections you know, project the relievers to be really good, but Wade Davis was like obscenely good last year. And there's also a way in which, you know, you use your best pitchers in higher leverage situations that I don't think the projections quite capture, you know, the usage of the relievers yet. So, you know, they, they do, I think if you do things exceptionally, uh, that sometimes the projections have tougher, have a tougher time with kind of um, the, t- the tail end of projections, kind of the, you know, they're good at projecting the probability in the middle, but, you know, when it comes to like the tail end, uh, it's a little bit harder for for the projection. So, um, you know, will they keep it up? So far, they haven't. <laughs> um, but you know, the defense, you know, in small sample sizes like April, you know, it's going to be it's going to take a while for the defense to kind of separate itself out. The bullpen, same with the bullpen, we're dealing with small sample sizes. So, uh, you know, over the course of 162 games season, we'll we'll see if the Royals can kind of keep up the same formula. But uh, yeah, again, the projections were kind of lousy for them this year. But the you know they. I think I think if a lot of the projections had been good on them this year, they would have kind of been thrown off by that. So I, you know, I think they they still wear it as a badge of honor. So you mentioned that they haven't quite lived up to it yet. Uh, they're fourteen thirteen. I don't know if they played tonight, but before this, before tonight, they were fourteen and thirteen, two and seven over the last three series, including a sweep at the hands of the Angels. And I was looking at Royals Review, and you guys had a roundtable about is it time to panic yet? And I was thinking if you wanted to elaborate on that, is it time to panic for the Royals quite yet after a month? You know, you know it's interesting because like they looked so good in the first three weeks of the season and they beat Houston who a lot of people thought was going to be one of the big contenders in the American League this year and of course they've stumbled out to a really poor start uh, and then they went out and, uh, and and played them really well took them three out of four in Houston uh, and then they played really well against Detroit and Baltimore two teams that uh, a lot of people thought could be could be good this year uh, at that point they were 12 and six and things were kind of you know rocking and rolling in Kansas City uh, and then just the last week, they went on the West Coast and just were it was disastrous. And that's carried over back back home. They came home and played the Washington Nationals, who are a very good team, and just kind of got their butts kicked in two out of the three games. So, you know, it, I'm not panicking. I, you know, I think some people in the fan base are panicking just because. Well, let's face it, there are some new fans, <laughs> and they don't remember the they don't remember that you know this team used to lose 90 games, 100 games a year, um, and. So we're not accustomed, I think, to the long stretch of the season. You know, the, last year the team didn't really struggle at all. I mean, they had kind of a little, a little dry spell in September, but other than that, they kind of ran out to a, a lead in the division. Uh, you know, tangled the Twins for a little bit, but they kind of had things wrapped up by July. So they didn't really have to, have to face much adversity. So when they have a slump like this, a nine-game stretch where they look, they've been pretty lousy in every aspect of the game, even defense. Even you know, defensively, they had three errors in the first inning last yesterday against. Washington, um, you know, and teams are going to have those kind of slumps over the, a long course of the season. So I'm not panicking yet. I don't think Royals fans should panic. I think, 
you know, the, the old adage is the season doesn't start till Memorial Day. So, you know, if the Royals are way under 500 by then, I'll start to panic then. But, you know, they have a winning record. They're, they're still in the race. Um, so I don't think there's, you know, I, it, it, there's a lot of guys underachieving that I think will end up, you know, performing a lot better because of their track record, like Lorenzo Cain and Alex Gordon and uh, Wacom Soria has gotten off to a slow start out of the bullpen. Those guys have proven track records, and I think they'll bounce back. So, you know, I think the thing that you have to be concerned with has his team uh, kind of got up to a poor start that they can't have the kind of season they had last year where they won 95 games. And, you know, Chicago's gotten off to a good start. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see. You know, this is a team that's gotten hot late in the season before. So, you know, maybe they can do it again. Um, one of the things that's kind of interesting to watch from an outsider's perspective is catcher Salvador Perez. He gets used a lot. And he has in the last couple seasons, including two long playoff runs. Um, and the Indians kind of had a similar situation with Carlos Santana. They took him off catcher and put him at first base and then third base and DH. And then, of course, Joe Maurer uh, went from catcher to first base. So how long do you think uh, Salvador Perez can keep going like this before his knees just get torn to shreds? Is there any kind of worry about that, that he needs to start kind of taking back on his workload at all? There doesn't seem to be. I mean, that's, a lot of fans have been kind of worried about that because he I, he set the record for most innings caught over a two-year two period the last two seasons because of his, you know, the deep postseason runs and they don't like to rest him at all. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, they, you know, usually the bat, you know, the starting catcher will get a day off on a day game after a night game, uh, usually that Sunday afternoon. And they, the Royals don't, don't always do that even. So, um, and he just signed a long-term, he kind of redid his contract and signed a long-term deal that keeps him here through age, I think 31. Um, and so people asked, why well, are you going to rest him now that, now that you have this investment? And Ed Yost said, nope, <laughs> we're going to keep putting him out there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's good. It's, you know, in one sense, it's easy to see why. He, he provides a lot of value with his defense, He's uh, and he's looked better than ever this year. He's thrown out like six guys in a row uh, trying to steal. Um, and, he, you know, he's kind of the leader out there, the captain that kind of uh, sets the tone for the team. So they like having him out there, uh, but they didn't seem like they want to arrest him anymore. Um, there was, a, there's been a lot of concern that his offense has slumped the last couple seasons because he's getting worn down. Uh, but he has hit for more power. He had, he set a, a career high in home runs last year and he's gotten off to a good start this year. Uh, you talk about Maurer and Santana moving off catcher. The difference between those guys and Perez is those guys are really good hitters. Salvador Perez is an okay hitter. Uh, he's got good power. He is terrible at getting on base. I mean, he's, Never been a guy that draws walks. He swings at pretty much anything that's within a foot of the uh, of a strike zone. So he's gonna, you know, as long as he's hitting home runs, he's fine. But otherwise, he's kind of he kind of hurts you, um, you know, by getting out so much. So if he's not on the field and he's DH or first base, he's losing a lot of his value. Whereas a guy like Mauer or Santana, you know, can, as long as they're still hitting, um, you know, they're they're still pretty good, you know, DHs that are first basemen. So. Um, I worry that that's what they'll end up having to do, which will mean he's going to be kind of an expensive, not very good player. And you see, like, you know, Joe Maurer last year, they had their issues with him being expensive and not very good. Now he's bounced back this year. But, um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd be really – I'd be concerned about that. But they they don't seem to be concerned. Uh, but uh, we'll have to see over the long term what, you know, if, if their strategy uh, worked out. Max, looking at Perez as, as a non-Royals fan um, – you know, I, I've seen a fair amount of Royals games the last couple of years just because of the postseason and because they're in the division with the Indians, so I watched them play them. Um, but I haven't seen them play almost at all so far this season. And so 
my Royals knowledge this year is just kind of looking at the numbers, which is probably better than my eyeball test anyway. And I notice uh, you're absolutely right. Press's power is up. Um, he's got four home runs already and some other extra base hits. I also notice his strikeout rate is way higher. And strikeout rate is one of the statistics that they talk about kind of uh, normalizing pretty quickly in a season. Watching the Royals, do you feel like he's changed his approach and that's why his power and strikeouts are up? Do you think it's just still kind of a small sample or you not noticed anything? Um, it just jumps out at me that both his power and his strikeouts are way up. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really noticed anything specific with him. Um, I mean, he's always had decent power. It's just last year he seemed like he was really uh, getting around on mistake pitches a lot better. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that, honestly, if opposing pitchers shouldn't really be throwing anything close to the strike zone. And he's, and he's but when, he, they, when they do, he's making the pay. And he's a pretty good mistake, a pretty good bad ball hitter. And that, you know, I guess because he swings at so many pitches out of the strike zone. When he does make contact with some of them, he makes pretty good contact. So, um, you know, I don't know. The, the team overall, you know, last year there was a lot of articles about how they had this high contact approach, and that's part of why they were co- be able to come back all the time is because they didn't they didn't strike out. They had one of the low strikeout rates, I think, the last 20 years or something like that. Um, and they kind of prided themselves on that. They, they, they were a team that they don't like to draw walks, but they also don't strike out, and they put the ball in play and make things happen, which fits their ballpark really well. This year, their strikeouts are way up, um, and strikeouts are up around the league overall. Um, maybe that's because of the, because it's cold weather or whatever. But um, but they, they their strikeout rates, you know, it's still low compared to the rest of the league, but it's not the lowest in the league, and it's not it's 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 significantly up from last year. And we've seen Salvador Perez's strikeout rate is up, Kendrick Morales is up, Alex Gordon is way up. It's uh, he's over thirty percent, I think, top ten in the league now in the strikeout rate. And Lorenzo Cain has been the biggest surprise. His strikeout rate's over 25%. You know, he was a guy that was third in MVP bounding last year, had a great offensive season, kind of out of, you know, not anything we were expecting. And he's been disastrous this year so far. He's just striking out a ton. Doesn't seem like he's seeing the ball really well. Even when he does make contact, he's not making very good contact, hitting lots of little dribblers to the left side of the infield. So strikeouts have been an issue with this team so far this year. Salvador, at least he's been you know, mixing in some home runs and doubles with it. But the rest of the team has really struggled with the strikeouts, and that's part of the reason why they've kind of stumbled out of the gate, uh, at least the last two weeks when they've uh, been on their slump. So, Max, you mentioned before that you think Alex Gordon's going to be one person not to panic about. I mean, this uh, so far this year, his power's way down. He's a 311 slugging. He's a little bit below average altogether, hitting uh, 83 WRC+. Plus. And this offseason, he re-signed with the Royals to a four-year, $72 million contract. I just want to know, how did you like it then, and do you like it now, and do you think it's going to be worth it for the Royals over the long term? Yeah, it, it was uh, it was. I was pretty overjoyed by it. I mean, it, and it's hard to kind of separate your like your fandom from like, you know, looking at this as like a you know objective analyst. But you know, he's one of my favorite players in Royals history. Um, it, you know, it sent a message kind of to the fan base that the Royals are committed to you know spending on a winner and Alex Gordon was committed to staying here, uh, which I think was huge for Royals fans. Cause we're so used to seeing, you know, Johnny Dame and Zach Granke and Carlos Beltran all leave. So, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was met with open arms here in Kansas city. I was thrilled with it. And I, and I, and I was thrilled with it knowing that, you know what, in year four, he's probably not going to be, you know, a replacement level player. He's probably gonna be pretty bad. I and mean, he's, he's into his thirties. He's 31 right now. 
Um, so he's going to be, you know, his mid thirties by the time this contract's over for a left fielder that depends on his defense and his legs. That's probably a scary proposition, but I think he'll provide enough value in the first couple of years of the deal to justify it. Now he is off to a really bad start this year. Um, if you look at his numbers, he had a groin injury that caused him to miss six weeks last year and, uh, his strikeout rate ever since then, including last September and this April, is is over over thirty percent. He's been striking out quite a bit. I don't know if the groin injury has anything to do with that, um, but it's it's a, a little bit of concern. Um, now, on the other hand, there is con- there is some concern that his defense might lose a step since the groin injury, and so far that doesn't look like it's been the case. He's looked fantastic defensively out in left field, and I think you know with the Royals slumping, the one thing that hasn't really slumped that bad much is the defense. I mean, it's it's not as great as it was last year, but they're still making great plays out there. I think it'll kind of normalize and stabilize over the, you know, as we get a bigger sample. But, um, you know, he's been making, you know, web gem type highlight plays out in left field. So I'm not too concerned. And, you know, he's still drawing walks. I mean, he, even though he's hitting like 200, he's uh, he's like third on the team and on base percentage, which is, is kind of an indictment on their ability to get on base. But, uh, you know, like I, I still think he's a guy with a track that has a track record that suggests he'll be able to get, come around and, and you know we'll look at his numbers in September, and you know, he'll, he'll be at his usual self: 270 average, you know, 340 on base percentage, 450 slug, uh, you know, 15 home runs. Uh, but you know his age, with his age and his groin injury last year, I think you have to be a little bit concerned that that he'll he will start declining a little bit, and you just hope that the decline will be in year four, not year one of the contract. So our last question here: it's just kind of wide open, whatever comes to mind first thing. Uh, when you think of the Cleveland Indians, what do you think of? Uh, strikeout pitchers, man. You, you guys have, you guys have some arms that we are envious of, um, and especially on our side. Um, and it's, you, the Indians are actually like the, and I know they're they're, they're the darlings over a lot of the internet, but like we pick you guys to win the division like every year, and uh, for whatever reason, it just hasn't you know hasn't happened in the, couple, the last couple of seasons. But I mean, yeah, the pitching staff with Salazar and Kluber, and you know, um, you know, Bauer can't even make the rotation now. Uh, yeah, we're pretty envious of that, especially since we don't have guys that can really strike hitters out. Now, the Royals' starting pitching staff this year has actually been a lot better at striking out hitters, uh, but I imagine that will probably start regressing pretty soon because they're not historically guys that will strike hitters out. But, uh, yeah, the Indians, you guys got some arms, and uh, it was, I think it's just a matter of time before they kind of find the right mix. And, you know, I know you guys improved your defense a lot, over the offseason, especially now that Lindor is going to be at shortstop full-time. So, uh, you know, it's a combination that I, I think still has a chance to be really successful. And I picked the Indians to be the most uh, serious challenger to the Royals this year for the division. I still think they will be. I'm not really sold on the Tigers bouncing back yet. Um, I'm not I'm not sold on the White Sox, even with their hot start. And I think the Minnesota Twins are a couple years away. So I think it'll come down to the Royals and Indians. Um, we'll just have to see. How these, you know, the both teams are kind of around 500 now, but uh, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think they're both kind of younger, younger, young teams, but not super young teams, kind of guys in the prime of their careers. So it's kind of exciting to watch. So if you guys have been picking the Indians the last couple of years, those disappointing seasons, I would like you to stop because I'm pretty sure it's your fault. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> if probably. you did it this year, I'm I give up. I'm not even going to bother cheering. You should wear it like as a badge of honor, just like we wear the Pakota bad projections <laughs> as a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Max. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, uh, great. Again, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure. And once again, that's Max Reaper, of uh, managing editor of Royals Review.
And we'll be back. We're going to just take some social media questions and then we'll wrap this show up. And we are back. Uh, that was Max Reaper of Burroughs Review. Uh, it was really nice talking to him. I've talked to him a lot on just in our internal Slack channels, Twitter and stuff like that. And it was just nice to interview him. He knows what he's talking about with the Royals, I think. Yeah, I think it's just, it's really, really hard to know multiple teams really, really well, unless, you know, it's like a full-time job. And so, uh, you know, you're you're always going to learn more about a team by talking to someone who that's their team. Uh, and Max definitely knows the Royals. Yeah, this was our first time. Well, I don't know if you did it before, but it was our first time since the little reboot that we've had somebody on for a preview. And I think we're going to keep doing it unless there's just open revolt. But I don't think there will be. I think it worked out well. <laughs> Our final thing today here, as usual, is we're going to get some social media questions. We're kind of going a little long today, so it's going to take two quick ones. Uh, the first one, I'll let you take this one, Jason. Why does or, uh, Indians MUT27 asks, why does Chisenhall start over Ramirez when he has produced more and is better? So why is, or why is Chisenhall getting the starts while Ramirez is on the bench when Ramirez has been better this year? Right. Um, <laughs> Because it's five weeks into the season and Chisholm was gone for the moment. I mean, I think you have to look beyond just the last, you know, few weeks. Uh, as we talked about earlier, Chisholm is now actually batting over 400 in the last, you know, week plus. Um, and, and Ramirez is playing well, too. Uh, but when you include Chisholm's time as an outfielder last season... Uh, Chisenhall looks like a much better defensive outfielder. You know, Ramirez, I love his versatility. He can do things in the infield that Lonnie couldn't. Um, but for now, I think we still have to work off the assumption that Chisenhall is the better defensive option in the outfield. Uh, and, you know, Ramirez has a better batting line right now. But again, it's in a, a fairly small sample. Uh, you know, if, if Chisenhall's batting... You know, if he's got a, a 290 on base percentage when Memorial Day rolls around, then, you know, maybe it starts to look a little different. Um, but I don't think the outfield is really where Jose Ramirez's future lies, not as a, a regular anyway. Um, if Chisholm is not playing well, I still don't think that Jose Ramirez is going to be the team's right fielder. Um, I think it, you'd look somewhere else. Uh, I think realistically you'd just ride out until either Frazier or Zimmer's ready to come up. So I think Chisenhall's playing ahead of Ramirez right now, uh, to the extent that that's true, um, because he's got a better track record as an outfielder. So I, I think, you know, Lonnie, I think, has sort of become, uh, for a while now, kind of a target for a lot of Indians fans, and not quite the same way that Carlos Santana is, um, but I think he's someone that a lot of fans are really quick to get down on, um, so I think we need to see what happens a little longer with Lonnie before we, uh, worry about right field. And if we do worry about right field, I don't think Jose Ramirez is the solution. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, I've always been on the train of get Jose Ramirez more at bats, especially this season. But like yeah. you said, it just won't be at right field. We talked about it earlier. It'll be third base more than anything. It's doing well, but it's, that, that's just not like that. I don't think that's the right opposition player for him. Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have. Our utility guy doesn't have many places to play every day. That's not a terrible issue. Because <laughs> that's what he is. He's a utility player. I don't think he'd start every day in many places, really. But he's, right. he's great for what he is. 
And uh, the next one, Tribe Time LGT asks, which current reliever in our minor league system do you want to see on the MLB the most? I actually have a bunch of answers for this. I think it's hard to get excited, or even starters, because you think at any point their arms can just fall off in the minors. So even more so for bullpen. But I think the Indians have kind of an underrated, exciting bullpen, especially in AA right now. They have, oh, I forgot his first name, Brian Heller, I think. But he can get up to like 102, 103. It's just pure fire. And then, of course, we talked about him last week, JP Fire Eyes, and I've been watching him since Lake County, I think, when he went. He started his career with like 28 shout-out innings. He's got a great fastball. He's got a big curveball like Cody Allen. I'm excited to see him. And then not even, I guess he's still technically a prospect, but Sean Armstrong in AAA. I think he's going to be exciting when he comes up. But he was going to be able to replace Cody Allen at some point, but he's been great in uh, AAA. Had to get a walk. Has to get his walks down a little bit, but he's been striking out a ton as well. So I think there's a whole bunch that are going to be exciting for the Indians bullpen in the future. I think it's one reason they haven't bothered to go out and sign a huge addition. It's just that they know they have so many good arms in the bullpen coming up. Even a couple of their starters could eventually transition to a bullpen role, I think. Uh, someone like Adam Plucko, if he doesn't make it as a starter, he could be a pretty good bullpen pitcher. So there's quite a few. The Indians, I mean, obviously the most exciting position is outfield with Zimmer and Frazier. And then they have a bunch of good starting pitchers. But I think bullpen is another position you're going to keep an eye on just for the future. And of course, with bullpen pitchers, they can always shoot up from like double A where Fire Eisen and Heller are right now. They could just rock it up to the majors at any point whenever they want to bring them up. Uh, because unlike starters, they don't need to be stretched out and face all the competition and get used to going through really high levels of competition over and over again. They're they're going to come in. He can just overwhelm people. Both of them can overwhelm opponents with their fastball, and they don't need. They're just going to go one time to the lineup at the most. So. They could be up any time. They're going to be exciting, and that's who I'm looking forward to. Uh, do you have any? No, I mean, I think, you know, a, a number of the names you mentioned, like you said, there's a lot of guys who could come up. Um, a lot of good MLB relievers are failed starters. Uh, I think the fact that the Indians have a really good starting rotation right now that's under team control for a while is a big boost to the bullpen um, because it does make it more likely that, you know, someone who's not quite good enough to crack the rotation um, you know, moves into a bullpen role and turns into a really good reliever. So I think it's one of those kind of um, more subtle positive side effects to having a good young team um, is kind of the flexibility it gives you for your, your prospects. Yep, absolutely. So that is all we had. I would say, looking at this podcast, I'd rate it more of a Tigers sweep than getting swept by the Phillies, I think. How about you? <laughs> it's a pretty good one. And, and hopefully we follow it up next week. Well, I guess... Hopefully the Indians follow up the sweep and we follow up this podcast with more high-quality work. Or else we're going to do what the Indians did last time and just have two terrible podcasts. Everything's <laughs> going to disconnect. There's going to be random drops. It's going to be horrible. No, we're just going to lose the podcast by one run. It's just going <laughs> to just get away from us a little bit. It'll be great for like 45 minutes and that last five is just going to be terrible. Ultimately, in, in just infuriating for all of us. Brian Shaw's going to be on the guest for the last five minutes and just ruin it. <laughs> so anything else going on with you uh, this next week? No, not that I can think of. Uh, nothing notable. It's it's Mother's Day on Sunday, so everyone should, should call their mom and tell her she's great. And if she's not great, tell her anyway. It's her day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And... Um, my mom listens to this podcast, allegedly. So I'm going to just call her out here, and if she listens, she'll mention something to me. So happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>
And if she doesn't, she won't say it. And then I'll just look like a horrible son for not wishing her Mother's Day. I'll still call her. <laughs> okay. So that's all we had today. As always, you can take our survey. That'll be in the link with the podcast episode. Check us out on Let's Talk Tribe or Let's Go Tribe.com and find Let's Talk Tribe on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor in chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.